Hey everyone, this is your friend Bully, and you're listening to Bully Esquire. In this podcast, we chat with the movers and shakers from the worlds of finance, tech, crypto, politics, law, and media, and everything in between. Thanks for joining. Let's dive in. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing crypto media company. Blockworks has 20 crypto and finance podcasts, and I'm excited to be part of the network. Visit blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. I promise you won't be disappointed. Today's episode is sponsored by Femix and RSK. You'll hear more about them later in the episode. Super pumped I have Stani Kulichov today, who's uh, the founder and CEO of Ave, which is a very prominent DeFi platform, um, a, a lending platform. So excited to have you on. I know you're a busy guy, Stanny. So thanks, thanks for joining me. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, it's, it's it's definitely been a quite active space now in, in DeFi. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And I know a lot of my um, followers and listeners are super interested in what DeFi is and sort of how how they can view it as sort of a new emerging asset class. So I'm, I'm pumped to have you on as one of sort of the preeminent experts in the space. Um, but, you know, before, before we kind of get into the details about Aave and just DeFi generally, um, I always find it interesting to hear about how folks ended up in cryptocurrency um, and sort of how you got a background in this stuff that led you to actually launching one of the most successful DeFi platforms out there. So yeah, if, if you want to just spend a few minutes and let my listeners know how you got in the space, that'd be awesome. Sure. So uh, I think I've been now building decentralized finance for, I think, four and a half years. Uh, so we started in 2016. I actually like, I think it took me like over six months to actually understand everything that's happening and like what's practically how blockchain works and, and how smart contracts works, which is practically a uh, immutable code that you can, well, actually a piece of code that you can deploy on, on onto the uh, blockchain, for example, into Ethereum. And, and then uh, that code doesn't arbitrarily change. So, so that makes it, it quite interesting use case for, for finance because the, the counterparties that are using smart contracts, uh, they don't need to trust each other. So there's this kind of like a custody element is, is not uh, involved. And that's that's kind of like uh, understanding all of these concepts uh, took me quite a while. Uh, but I stumbled upon actually the whole space by just a bit of accident. I was, I was working in the legal industry and I was finishing my uh, law degree uh, few years ago and uh, one of the things I was very uh, interested about was uh, contracts or legal agreements and I always thought about like the I don't know why but since I started to study law uh, I was thinking that you know the the way that we have contracts is, is some, somehow inefficient it's inefficient it's it's efficient when there's no disputes right so you know you have business relationships and and there's not no kind of uh, uh, conflicts, but then again, when you actually need to uh, resolve a dispute, then you know the system doesn't work that well. You can't go to court maybe because uh, you're afraid that you generate too much fees for your business, or it might be even like a personal thing. And at the same time, kind of like there's always risk that there's misinterpretation misinterpretation on 
what's the agreement? And I was thinking like how we could make more efficient uh, agreements. And I just researched quite a lot, the research about AI and how that could be used. And I stumbled upon into uh, smart contracts, which is the, the function in Ethereum and, and kind of like one of the features kind of, uh, and what these smart contracts uh, was, was interesting for me is that you, you practically, the, the code always executes. So there, there's no way you could change, you know, you have a code and it arbitrarily changes to something else or someone else can change the code. And for me, that practically meant that the contracts could self-execute and you kind of don't need court systems. And that was for me a very big realization moment that, you know, I, I really want to uh, understand better. And I just went to this deep, deep rabbit hole and it never ended. And I'm still here. I, like every day, it, I feel like I'm digging the hole like even deeper. Sure. Yeah. No. And I'm, I'm sort of the same way. Once, once I got into it, it's like you, you never come back. And, you know, it's interesting to hear your background as sort of a, an attorney by, by training or education. Um, I'm the same way. And I actually have had a lot of attorneys on over the time this podcast has been going. And um, it's always interesting to hear sort of the legal perspective on, on this stuff. Um, one thing I've heard people say a lot is, well, smart contracts are neither. <laughs> They're neither <laughs> smart nor technically are they contracts. But um, I suppose now where we're getting to with DeFi, I think we're, we're approaching the point where some of these, um, I guess, software functions could qualify as legally binding agreements, at least in certain jurisdictions and depending on the facts and circumstances. Um, is that sort of what led you to DeFi was this idea of, I guess, auto execution or like non-custodial requirements for an intermediary? Yeah, and I, I kind of like, I wanted to, you know, build something uh, around like actually helping the legal industry. And I was very passionate about, uh, you know, legal tech, which was very small, small, I mean, I. I actually, I, to give some background, so I, I come from a small country uh, in the Nordics, Finland, and um, you know, there's texting is very small and everything is quite small. But you know, I, in globally also, like legal tech has been always quite small place, and I, I thought always that there's like there's so much you could actually improve in the legal industry. Mm -hmm. The the problem is always the kind of like lawyers because they have they 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 are kind of like enemies of their own innovation because they want to have complexity as well. They want to have like legal issues because, you know, they want to know the truth on kind of like uh, questions on substance because that makes them special in their speciality. And that's what, that's how I used to think as well. I mean, I kind of understood that, that, you know, I'm needed because there's complex issues that uh, uh, needs to be resolved and, and you need a lawyer for that and that, uh, People do not understand uh, uh, agreements that well. You know, someone needs to help them to draft and interpret, and and so forth. And now what's happening in DeFi is kind of like people like we have this like agreements in code. And what's what's the issue is that you know the normal people do not read code, and <laughs> we're kind of like in the same situation, but with instead of lawyers we have uh, programmers, and it's still kind of like it's it's tricky. Mm -hmm. Tricky position for the uh, normies. 
Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting take. And I suppose I hadn't considered it. And, you know, w- one sort of issue that I hear time and time again about crypto is, yeah, it's sort of like written by devs for devs and it's very, very tech heavy and forward. And when you're like trying to get mass adoption, it's, it's hard to get a, just somebody with no sort of technical experience or background into the space because it's so daunting and the, the learning curve is so steep. Um, do, do you have any sort of thoughts on, on that? I mean, I suppose Ave to a certain extent is an effort to be relatively easy to use and accessible, but um, do you think as an industry, there's something we could sort of be doing to better bring in kind of non-technical folks? Certainly is. I, I, I think in terms of like professionally, I, I think we, we need more non-technical people. Uh, a lot of the innovation that's happening in DeFi, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much like combination of, of various backgrounds uh, uh, in, in teams and, and communities thinking on how to solve things, how to improve you know, inefficiencies as we have in finance, uh, how to take the, what we have in DeFi and take it to the next level, uh, make it even more efficient, interoperable. And uh, a lot of the things like technical people usually implement as well, like they're part of the brainstorming, but they have to spend more time on implementing as well. So you need more people. But in terms of like user, uh, so that's, that's pretty much what we need. So we need more people in, in DeFi. And good thing I've noticed is that uh, we get a lot of application now applications from the traditional finance as well. So it's, it's pretty nice to see and with various backgrounds. And that's, that's something that's, that's very unique and haven't happened for, for a quite long time that we, we, that we definitely see that the space is now a bit of an epicenter. And of course, like the, main, like the adoption side and, and understanding what, what DeFi is and where it's going and how to use it. Uh, I, I think we just have to build more easier ways to interact. That's it's it's simple as that. Like now, interacting with DeFi is quite easy. For example, you could go to Aave. Uh, if you, if you already have a wallet, so it's, it's bring your wallet type of uh, application. So you go to Aave, you connect your wallet, and you just practically deposit with one transaction, and you start earning interest. Uh, and that's how our work works to give some background. So, so it's it's a protocol where you can just bring cryptographic assets and and see them grow in interest as as you are lending them out in the protocol. And why it's important, why, what makes it DeFi is that it's on a smart contracts which are transparent uh, to the public, so anyone can audit, uh, see what kind of collateral levels there are, transactions. And, and also uh, what's the risk exposure in that protocol compared to traditional finance where, or centralized finance where we don't see, it's kind of more black box type of a uh, uh, system or, or we see in a, in a uh, black form, for example, when we look at financial audits and, and later financial years. And I, I think like it's fairly easy to use DeFi, but the onboarding part is challenging, like how we get uh, let's say users who have traditional currencies, like how we get them also to the same ecosystem. And this is where the friction comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, trying to explain to somebody, well, you know, you, 
you need a you need MetaMask and you need Ethereum, and so you have to have, I guess, some sort of exchange. So you get the exchange, you get the Ethereum, you send it to your MetaMask, you go to this website, you connect your wallet, and like <laughs> you know, people's eyes sort of glaze over. To us, it's like, oh, I mean, we do this stuff a lot, so it seems sort of second nature. But to somebody with no sort of background, they're like, what are you talking about? So I agree with you. I think sort of like the on-ramp, off-ramp and the um, ease, it should almost be some as easy as just, you know, like opening an app on your phone and being like, okay, here we go. I can just stake my USD and it would automatically convert from dollars to USDC or something and then stake or, I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of smarter people than I am working on those exact issues, but I agree with you that sort of currently where we're at, it's, it's a little bit clunky um, from a UI point of view, but over time, I'm sure that'll sort of smooth out and the friction will reduce. Um, so yeah. you mentioned, okay, so you got into DeFi about four and a half years ago, um, kind of via the legal path, which is interesting. And I guess I didn't realize. So when, when, when we say DeFi, when we talk about DeFi, I suppose it's an acronym for de decentralized finance. Um, and, and like I said, I'm getting tons of questions. People are really interested in it right now. Um, I thought maybe you could just sort of give like a super high level overview of what actually DeFi is and, you know, like what, the, the evolution of when we say DeFi, it sort of means all of these certain projects that tend to be built on Ethereum and they uh, are non-custodial. But I, I thought maybe you could kind of just give an overview for my listeners about like what it actually means at a higher level. Yeah, of course, like the non-custodial part is important. So you, you should be able to, you know, uh, retain your keys. So, so practically you, you have the, the old saying like, uh, not, not your, not, not, not your keys, not your crypto, and in the same same sense that uh, you basically hold your keys and you interact with the protocols. So even if you give, you deposit uh, your funds into those protocols, you, you practically can withdraw them with your keys. And of course, depending on the protocol uh, code and everything, and you know uh, the common understanding what the protocol can and can't do, uh, determines like what 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 you're doing. But in in general, the the, the non-custodial part is the important thing. Then uh, DeFi practically, uh, DeFi is transparent. So the uh, everything that's happening in DeFi is, is practically on public uh, Ethereum blockchain at the moment. And that's part of the DeFi value proposition because it, it actually means that uh, everything can be seen risk-wise. And, and this is actually a very good tool for, you know, whoever wants to inspect and understand like where are the risks at the moment, what's happening. And, and that's that's like a very big value proposition compared to the current financial system. And of course, main thing is as well is that you can uh, participate in the protocols in a permissionless fashion, which practically means that, uh, you know, there is no censorship in participating in, in decentralized finance. The same way as you would send a transaction in Ethereum or Bitcoin, there's no censorship. If you have keys, you have an account, and you have uh, you have uh, cryptocurrency, you should be able to send it uh, normally without intervention. In, if you if you possess the keys, and um, and uh, what's cool about DeFi, in my opinion, is that you know all the smart contracts talk to each other, so the system is uh, interoperable. So let's say 
someone could come and just create a completely new product that didn't exist any part of the world, just deploy it into the main Ethereum network. And that that product could use Aave and a bunch of other protocols. And you know, it's it's interoperable system in that sense. And that makes it pretty cool because if you look at like traditional finance, you know, the uh, different banks or different financial institutions, and you know, they don't talk to each other on the every like a layer. And what we actually have, like they all have like separate databases, you know, they might be connected with let's say Swift network or something like that. But here we have everything kind of like in the, the whole kind of backend of the finance in the same same network and not just sending transactions from one place to another, but actually doing comp complex things as well, like lending and borrowing and, and even more complex. And that's like a quite cool. And of course, to be DeFi, those protocols needs, needs to be governed by decentralized governance, which means that uh, it's not controlled. The protocol upgrades are not controlled by the team. Instead, it's it's controlled by the token holder governance, which is which, which is uh, the community. This is where it comes kind of like the community-owned protocols. The the uh, uh, the idea. Sure. Yeah. No. And I'll 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 have some I have some questions about the governance side. I mean, particularly given your background sort of training as an attorney, I find the governance piece pretty interesting. What, okay, let's just talk about it now. I, Cause I, I just, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. So here in the US, obviously corporate law is pretty well established. You have corporations will sort of establish themselves or incorporate in Delaware. And there's all of these laws regarding, you know, shareholders rights, board rights, um, corporate fiduciary responsibilities and things like that. Um, and it seems like the DeFi space has just been like, we're going to basically redesign this entire system, which is really cool. Um, but on the other hand, it's sort of, it's created some sort of, I guess, um, growing pains over the last year or so as new protocols have experimented with different governance um, methods and things is, is the governance on Aave, are you guys using that via the token? Is that the role of the token? Yeah, so uh, that's that's the key point. So, so practically what the token allows the community to do is that they, they practically have a way to participate. And, and the token is interesting because you could actually just go into a market and acquire the token and being able to participate into the governance. and and. What's what's interesting about the other governance? It, it definitely like like there's of course a question like what what is you know governance in in DeFi which is based on this kind of like a DAO model which is uh, decentralized autonomous organizations and you know there's still like a pre pre uh, question of uh, what what is DAO? Is it practically something completely new that you know? hasn't been thought about yet or is it just a way that the the DAO members are uh somehow they have like contractual agreement of having some sort of uh um uh, you know not a joint rights yeah not, not a jo joint venture but but basically contractual agreement that they they participate in the system and they govern the system or that, that those are kind of like the difficult questions and of course like there's the question of like is there liability uh within the DAOs 
for example, I mean, usually limited liability comes for stat statutory law regulation. And of course, like DAOs are, you know, they are not like re registered entities. They, they're practically just multi-signature, you know, wallets and, and kind of like a way to organize people cross-border uh, in decentralized fashion. And uh, in terms of like AVI governance, what's, what's very fascinating is that, you know, you don't need to actively necessarily to participate in into the governance. You could actually even uh, delegate your vote to so-called pro protocol politicians that, that will actually uh, have maybe similar agenda as, as you might have and kind of like the same values. And then you can also delegate uh, separately the proposition power practically means that uh, with, with the proposition power, uh, who has enough proposition power could actually put proposals on chain. Uh, and, and that's on chain proposals actually mean, mean piece of code that if the, if the outcome of that proposal is positive, uh, it actually gets into execution and becomes part of the smart contract base that has been deployed. So, so you can, you can, you kind of have this like interesting system where, in the other governance, where you have protocol politicians, but at the same time you have this kind of like a lawmakers, coders that are also kind of like competing for the proposition power and competing of creating good proposals. And this is very fascinating because at least like in Europe, uh, quite interestingly, usually like you select kind of like uh, government and that government does those you know proposals. And, and uh, then the, the politicians are voting on those proposals. But here you actually have comp competitive entities on competing, writing good code, practically good law and regulation into the, into the uh, smart contracts. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. And something I'll probably dive into more after this discussion is I, I find the governance stuff particularly interesting and um, sort of how it plays out and the different I suppose, incentives and things people have with regards to that. It's all sort of almost like game level, game theory level, um, political philosophy to some extent. But <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I, I'm curious. So I, I figured I'd try to figure out how you got here. So you, you were into smart contracts about four and a half years ago. Did was it Lend? Is that the project you launched originally that ultimately rebranded to Aave? Yeah, it was. Uh, the project was called ETH Lend, uh, which was, was short for Ethereum Lending. So it, it was more of a, like a meme project back in those days, which is kind of like, uh, to some extent, it, it's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, uh, it, I, we never, never, ever imagined that this will become like, so big and also like when we started Eatland, the idea was just to have a first kind of like proof of contract proof of uh, work contracts uh uh in in uh sorry sorry i'm missing out so proof of concepts on the smart contracts and and just uh thinking like uh you know if you if you do it once and see how how we could actually create on on-chain lending system and uh, yeah, for some reason, like the community started to grow and, you know, we came, became more serious and, and people actually started to expect we build things and we just kept on continuing going. <laughs> and now we're here. So it, it's been definitely like quite interesting path.
The DeFi revolution is the next big opportunity in the crypto financial market. RSK, the Bitcoin-based smart contract platform, is hosting exciting, secure, and rewarding apps that allow you to trade, lend, and borrow, all on the most robust smart contracting platform, powered by more than 60% of Bitcoin's computational power. For the holders out there, why let your Bitcoin just sit there when you could be earning money? Put your Bitcoin to work, trade without selling, spend without selling, lend and borrow on the most trusted network in the world. Hop on to rsk.co slash openfinance to be part of the future and start making money on your Bitcoin today. Listen, I've used a lot of exchanges over the years and all seem to have their problems, whether it's a lack of volume, bad or buggy UI, or the exchange crashing when Bitcoin makes a big move. Until now, that is. Femex is a new derivatives and spot exchange launched last November by a group of former Morgan Stanley execs. Femex sports lightning fast transactions, the ability to handle tons of transactions at once so you don't need to worry about it crashing during big moves, deep order books and real verified volume. They have several different trading pairs and leverage options. They also have low trading fees and a killer ref plan. Be sure to use this URL for my welcome bonus www.femex.com slash a slash bully. Check it out. Thanks. It's it's an incredible, extraordinary growth. I think last I checked, you guys have something just shy of $5 billion in total locked um, assets on your on your platform right now, which is, I mean, like, the GDP of a small country. So it's pretty extraordinary. Um, I, I never thought about it that way, actually. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, no, no pressure, no pressure or anything. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, I, I, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier is that you said sort of this transparency of the system is actually an attribute to the, to the DeFi space and sort of the protocol in particular. And I know there's a lot of discussion and I, for one, have been involved in a lot of the discussions about privacy and on-chain privacy versus the transparency aspect. Um, how do you sort of, how do you view the, the privacy versus transparency debate in the blockchain space? Like, do you, do you think that it makes sense to have all of these projects just like completely transparent? Or do you think over time, there'll be some sort of level of privacy that's brought to, to these platforms. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is one of the most uh, coolest debates uh, uh, in in the space. Like, it's something. It's not usually. It, it comes up time to time. And what I think is that you know the transparency is the key component. Why you know DeFi has been very successful because you know the users of traditional finance aren't seeing everything that's happening and they don't see, they, they can't expect the system to be fair if they don't see like how things are going. And, you know, especially like with the 2008, it's, it's very difficult to to kind of have full faith on, on you know, traditional finance and, and banking systems. I mean, we, we, we have a faith that they, they work on a daily basis. Uh, but you know, there's always kind of like a, a risk involved, and I think that's why, like, if you look at like Ethereum and and DeFi, and everything is built on a public blockchain ledger, I, I think that's been 
very important for the growth and, and people being able to inspect different kinds of transactions, what's happening, what's the exposures in various protocols. That's a, that's a lot of value. But the thing is, uh, you know, you also enter this kind of like mode where there is uh, so-called blockchain surveillance, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you start to you start to see accounts, what they're doing, what kind of strategies they're using, what kind of, let's say, NFTs they're, they're holding, uh, what kind of currencies. And, and the thing is, it, like, cryptocurrencies aren't like cash, you know, because, like, uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain, you can trace everything, like where it goes next and, and, and so forth, the, the, the funds. And, you know, at some point, there might be even uh, some sort of uh, uh, AI that, actually could even uh, you know look at all of the transactions and could actually create profiles and this profiling will mean that even if you change your address and start doing transactions from a new address you have certain type of behavior habits and that will attribute you to a profile which means that kind of like you have difficulty of, of uh, escaping this surveillance and it becomes worse over time and this is why the privacy aspect the, the well, actually most unsolved thing uh, at the moment in DeFi uh, becomes uh, quite important. Yeah, and I suppose, I, I mean, I, I'm not a coder, but as far as I understand it, like if you are using different addresses and maybe you, you know, have Ethereum in your MetaMask and then you send it, send it to a, an exchange like Gemini and then back to your MetaMask, um, you know, I guess the user can see that coming and going, but there is some level of privacy you could get on the um, exchange side. Um, and so maybe that's the idea is that, well, DeFi, DeFi is public and it ought to be for all of the sort of really good reasons you just suggested that, you know, we, we might not have complete faith in a lot of our financial institutions, particularly after 08. And um, there's benefit in being able to have audible, um, transparent systems like that, but there may be other privacy features or um, mechanisms that users can enable if they're particularly concerned about that, or you know they don't want all of that information public. So maybe it'll be like sort of a pick and choose, or um, you know depending on on what you want to do. And I guess you already see that already. Like there's privacy coins and um, things like that where you know you could go to zcash and hold your crypto there if you're if you're worried about it yeah and i i agree like i i think like privacy will be the next kind of like a big field that we're working here uh in, in decentralized finance and in general in in the blockchain space and uh but also i i think like because of the transparency, it's been one of the reasons that DeFi has has kind of like got a lot of acceptance in the sense that you know, the the I mean there's it's very difficult to sell DeFi in the form that you know you don't see what's happening in the market, so if everything will be dark pools, but I but I think like there, there needs to be very fine line like also kind of like you could choose the privacy as you said. But also that you know markets should be transparent. Uh, you could create a private market. I don't. I'm not against those. You know, if, if people want to trade in in dark pools, but uh, I, I think just like the, the the very basic important protocols should, should be transparent. But when it comes to closer to the 
to the uh, users and and what 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 they are possessing and doing. Uh, somehow that should be masked. And I, I think privacy as a as kind of like additional feature is is probably the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um... Let's let's sort of dive into what Ave actually does. So I, I pulled this from the website, and I, I just want to read it because I've reread it a few times, and I feel like I'm, you know, well versed enough in the space. But I had sort of trouble with some of it, so I thought I'd just read it, and then we can talk about what it means. So it says Ave is a decentralized, non-custodial liquidity market protocol where users can participate as depositors or borrowers. Depositors provide liquidity to the market and earn passive income while borrowers are able to borrow in an over collateralized perpetually or under collateralized one block liquidity fashion. So I think, you know, the, the first part, I think I understand, right? Ave is a decentralized non-custodial liquidity market protocol. Um, for, for people who might not understand that, what does that mean in like in, in English? <laughs> and, um, what sort of what what's what's the value prop there? Yeah, I, I guess like uh, that's the thing, you know, in decentralized finance, we we use a lot of like terminology that's that's very weird, uh, bespoke. Mm -hmm. it, it it basically helps to to kind of reinvent things in a better way because you don't need to, you're, you're trying not to refer to things that has been all, already like building, let's say traditional finance and you get this kind of like a uh, freedom to think differently, right? But I also like, I don't like to difficult words, but in essence, like what, what it means is that uh, you can come to our way with, uh, uh, with, with cryptographic assets and you can see them grow. That's simple. It is so you 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 deposit and and you see your deposits grow in, in in balance. And at the same time, you could actually use your deposits as a collateral to to borrow other assets, practically getting liquidity. That's the main thing. So this is the the easy part, right? And then there is the flashnow part, which is the more uh, even more difficult <laughs> to to kind of like uh, interpret. So do do folks, will folks basically like, okay, say I have some USDC, which is like a pegged USD coin, and I deposit it in there. I'm on the website right now, and it looks like there's an 18% APR, APY um, to deposit it, and then there's a 30% borrow variable. Um, so do some users basically deposit it and then turn right back around and withdraw it? Or will they borrow something else? Usually, yeah. Usually, if you come with let's say stable coins, you mm -hmm. usually don't much, you know, draw anything else. Like you, you just want to capture those trades. By the way, sure. now they're now they're pretty high. Basic past average stable coin years are roughly nine percent something. Mm -hmm. There, so there's kind of like now liquidity crunch on on Aave. So practically, it needs more liquidity. But uh, if you come with, let's say, Ethereum or Wrap uh, Bitcoin, what, what happens in this case is that you are using it most likely as a collateral. So you, you put Ethereum, Wrap Bitcoin as a collateral, and then borrow uh, stable coins. So that's the, the, uh, the, the main thing. So I, I think roughly from all of the liquidity that there is, uh, 
70% are just depositing and 30% are depositing and borrowing against their deposits. Gotcha. So somebody like a, a very sophisticated trader may deposit one thing, turn around, take out some stable coins, and then use those to go and do other trades with while they're sort of simultaneously earning yield at Aave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so pretty, pretty much uh, that, that's what, what, what's hap what happens. I mean, there, there are quite wide arrays now of use cases. Uh, I like, what I like about the, the, the protocol, it's, it allows to unlock liquidity. So when you deposit even stable coins, let's say USDC, you get in return a USDC, which is practically a receipt of your deposit into the protocol. And uh, it grows algorithmically in, in, in the wallet balance. So that's how we developed it. And uh, you could actually use that AUSDC as a collateral in, in, in uh, other protocols and kind of like you're already unlocking liquidity as well. And then you could also borrow against it in, in, uh, in, in the protocol itself. Uh, and, and get that way liquidity. So let's say if you have Ethereum and you don't want to sell your Ethereum, you could borrow stable coins, convert them to, let's say, dollars and, and buy yourself a Model 3 Tesla, for example. <laughs> do you, I, I mean, do you think at some point there'll be like some level of systemic risk involved with like, because, and, and maybe you think like this, goes back to kind of the individual user obligation. But I suppose there is some risk here of people just like overextending themselves so great that, you know, any small move in the market can trigger like these massive liquidations. Have you, have you seen a lot of like margin calls or well, maybe I, maybe the, the first question is how does Ave deal with a situation where the collateral has to be called or, you know, someone has to like a, a liquidation would occur. Um, is that all done via the smart contract? And if so, how does it sort of operate mechanically? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the interesting part is that uh, the, the protocol like has automated liquidations in the sense that we have uh, this kind of like liquidation network which means that there is uh, autonomous bots running uh, practically liquidation engines. So whenever there's a possibility that uh, a position could be liquidated, which practically means that it's say the value of the collateral decreases substantially, uh, that position could be, uh, that collateral could be resold. So what the liquidator does, uh, uh, the liquidator puts, puts the borrowed currency back into the system takes the collateral and, and sells the collateral for whatever they were uh, putting into the system and also keeps the liquidation incentive as, as the uh, profit. And uh, this has been working fairly well, like not just fairly well, but uh, very well in, in, in the uh, current system because there's all of these bots and liquidators that are actually competing to liquidate, like who can like, capture that uh, incentive. And uh, we do have so-called risk framework that we are applying uh, that's made by our actuary and our community has been contributing to it. And uh, that risk framework actually determines, you know, what kind of uh, 
what could be the potential parameters, like how much you could borrow against your collateral, you know, how much borrowing power it has, what kind of liquidation incentives, and the the other governance, the decentralized governance actually participates on uh, getting those risk-based decisions into into the protocol, and that's the fascinating part. And generally, to, the, to answer the question, if there's systemic risk, yes, there is. There's uh, the systemic risk is not just in Aave but in whole DeFi space, and it's important that the DeFi protocols actually put a lot of emphasis on how to mitigate the risk, especially. Like you need to design the protocols for the the very uh, worst day kind of like uh, thinking, and that's like why uh, why we have very conservative uh, risk parameters in Aave compared to the rest of the DeFi. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was on <laughs> mute. I was just talking away. So um, I apologize for that. But no my, my, my question was, so thanks for that. And I appreciate that. And um, that's helpful insight, particularly at sort of on the risk engine and um, all of the mechanics and thought that goes into that. Um, another, another issue in all of these kind of get intermingled and connected with one another. But you know, obviously right now we're seeing like these massive spikes in gas and uh, some con some significant congestion on the Ethereum network. Um, and obviously a lot of that gets worse when there's big moves in price, which could trigger some of these liquidation engines, adding more kind of uh, congestion to the network. I'm, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what are your views on sort of the scaling debate? Is there a layer two solution in the works? How are you guys kind of dealing with these super high gas prices and the congestion that we're seeing on the Ethereum network? Yeah, it, it feels like a traffic jam, right? So so kind of like that we would build a big city on, on Ethereum and, and then like we have these skyscrapers and, and, you know, it's just like difficult to move in, in the traffic and congestion. Uh, I, I think the problem is like, we're using the very same security level for confirming all of the transactions uh, and in, in Ethereum at the moment. And it's not just that there's sort of happening DeFi, but there's sort of happening in the NFT space, the greater uh, culture, and, and also kind of like this, a bit of e-commerce part uh, as well. And what I'm thinking is that uh, you know, I think a good solution is what's coming up with it 2.0 and, and the sharding, you know, that kind of like applying different kinds of security levels depending on the transactions. But also I think layer twos are a pretty nice solution. So you kind of are using the Ethereum as a settlement network, but you do most of the transactions in a kind of side chain. And, and then you can periodically just roll up the transaction states uh, into Ethereum. And I think that's a pretty uh, good kind of like a patch solution until Ethereum has a sharding mechanism. And maybe this layer twos will become like shards, shards of, of Ethereum. So it's so definitely like, Aave does have a, like a, 
uh, scalability strategy related to layer two, uh, but it's something that we're actually now uh, working upon uh, internally. Sure, sure. So you're sort of still grappling with whether or not, you know, Ave would ever, I guess, take advantage of a layer two solution. Yeah, I, I think like we're positive that we're, we're doing, we're already building something, but uh, it's just kind of like, um, there's still some components that we are uh, deciding and, and, and trying to figure out. But I, but I think the layer two is, is a good scalability uh, uh, solution. Sure. So yeah, I mean, we have, we have all of these different issues, right? So we have, we, we have privacy, we have scaling, and now we have, uh, my next question is security. So, you know, like I mentioned before, I think there's something like $5 billion under, um, you know, using the Aave platform right now. I'm sure security is top of mind and there's all sorts of, you know, DeFi security issues over the last year or so. What, what is your approach to that and how, how do you sort of juggle that and then also, you know, move lightning fast on sort of the innovation side as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? So, so you know, if you want to innovate, you kind of like, you have a, uh, the issue is that then the, the security aspect, you know, how, how do you keep the network and your innovation secure enough? And, and that it has been, there has been a lot of diligence uh, before you, you launch or update your protocol uh in in general and i i think for our like our sweet spot in in how we're doing things is that like we're able to innovate uh constantly and very like frequently to ship ship kind of like new uh new parts of the protocol and also kind of like new upgrades but at the same time we're able to do it quite securely and it, it's pretty much of a culture thing because like if you if you accept that you want to create safe and secure products, it just requires internally a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of due diligence, whatever you're, you're shipping. And also like you need to use a lot of external resources. Uh, the version two that was launched uh, mid-December last year, uh, we had uh, five uh, external auditors, smart contract auditors uh, looking into the code and auditing everything. The recent one was finished uh, two weeks ago. And also we have, uh, and normally the DeFi protocols have either one or two audits. And on top of that, we have also so-called formal verification where uh, the code is mathematically uh, kind of like investigated in the sense that you know you create these proofs and ensure that the, the proofs are corresponding to the result. And what that does is that uh, you can you can be sure practically that the, the that, that part of proof o- operates correctly. And th- it's it's very something that's usually used in mission critical software. It could be like avionics or so forth. And it applies the same way into DeFi. I mean, it's end of day, it's finance. Sure. Yeah, I heard somebody made the metaphor that it's like um, repairing a jet engine well, it's in the air or something like you just, <laughs> you have to be very careful because there's a lot, lot at stake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, uh, there's a lot of stake and, and like it's, it's practically 
you know, the whole industry is always at stake. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I saw it sort of making the rounds um, on Twitter was, I think it was sort of a teaser um, where Ave's Twitter account posted, I think it was a picture of a, of a, like an Ave sort of looking credit card. Um, is there anything you can give us on that? Or is it just sort of, is this just like, we have to wait for the official announcement? Yeah, I think kind of like uh, we have to wait. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, yeah, but it's interesting topic. I mean, it's just asking like, what if things could be done differently? And mm-hmm. uh, it's very inspirational. And but we, we got like a lot of interest in like what's going on and what we might be rolling out. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, we have to wait. <laughs> sure. All right. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, you guys have like, such a massive um, uh, total locked volume that I suppose there's a lot, once you have that volume, you, uh, I suppose a lot of doors open up as far as products or innovation or, you know, other sort of lines of business you guys can offer to your customers. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do agree. Cool. Um, any any other sort of thoughts on, um, I guess, the the future direction of Ave or anything you're like really excited about as far as like product development or or goals? Yeah, I think our we have this function where you know after you deposit you can you can you know if you're not borrowing you can delegate the borrowing power to someone else. We we call it credit delegation. And that's a pretty cool feature because you could kind of like give a under collateralized loan to someone else. And we're looking very forward, like how this uh, function will evolve, how other people are building things. So that's like one of the most things I'm most exciting about now. And of course the progress of the governance, um, I, I think we'll see, see more active uh, community developers creating proposals and also grants uh, from the Aave. DAO, those those are things that I'm I'm quite 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 excited at the moment. Sure. Yeah, and you know, one thing I constantly harp on on Twitter is like if you go on CoinGecko, right, they have this tab that says DeFi and you can click on it and you can see the dominance level of DeFi versus the rest of the crypto market and it'll sort of lump everything together from DeFi and say, well, DeFi represents X percent of the total crypto market. And I checked last night and I think DeFi is up to like 5.1% of the total market dominance, um, <laughs> which seems really low. Uh, so I yeah. was just curious as, you know, sort of somebody who's very involved in, in the DeFi aspect of crypto, what do you sort of think the future is for DeFi? Do you think there's a lot of room for growth and um, what, what sort of the next couple of years will look like? Yeah, I, I do think, and I, I don't think like centralized finance DeFi is, is disappearing. I think it's just going to be more front-end for DeFi. So DeFi is just replacing a lot of the back-end infrastructure. That is why it's going to grow quite quite a lot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely like back-end of, of finance in the future will be decentralized and front-ends can then be either decentralized or just like custodians, depending on what's the value value proposition for the end users. But I'm very excited what we're building now. Yeah, yeah. 
and what do you think about yield? I know, so now you, you mentioned, I think USDC, right? Because we're in a big bull market. I think it's saying 19% APY. And like you said, that's probably pretty high because there's sort of this credit crunch right now because everyone wants to borrow. Um, do you think long-term yields going to come down significantly um, as more capital gets deployed and, um, you know, the sort of, I guess, crypto credit markets, for lack of a better word, sort of stabilize and mature? Or do you think the yield will remain pretty high and you'll have companies offering like a consistent 8, 9, 10% APR? Yeah, I think this arbitrage, so the, the current rates, I think we'll still see quite quite high because there's just like not enough liquidity. Mm-hmm. And and as liquidity comes, there's more consumption. So definitely like this this is going to take for a while to to kind of like settle. So it's it's very long arbitrage. Do you see any like big institutions? I mean, I, I I'm not I'm not on the finance side, I'm more on the legal side of things. So I don't have really any sort of exposure into this, but in your current position and role, are you seeing any sort of institutional interest in this? Like, I mean, there's there's institutions out there with hundreds of billions of dollars in capital under management. And you'd think that one of them would say, hey, holy smokes, I could get, you know, 10% return on, on a big chunk of capital if I just, you know, dumped it in USDC and sat it on one of these platforms. Or do you think they're still too risk averse or there's institutional limitations preventing that i no i think i, I think definitely like risk decreases over time in DeFi, and, and there are definitely like institutions i mean there's institutions that are taking bitcoin into their balance sheets so mm-hmm. i definitely think like taking like taking interest bearing tokens uh stable coins into their balance sheets uh is, is to some extent kind of like you have le- you have less you know the, the market risk there and especially in low interest environment, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. When sort of <laughs> you're starting to see almost negative interest rates in some places or, yeah. or coming <laughs> close. I mean, if you can get eight, nine percent just sitting there, that's pretty, pretty attractive, I think. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. Um, and anything else? I mean, you want my listeners to know about that? You know, you guys are working on, or they should be aware of. No, I think people just should, uh, you know, learn. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's that's how I got into DeFi, and I I hope you enjoyed our our chat. Uh, and if you want to find something about Aven, Aven.com, uh, and we have a very vibrant community and feel, feel free to reach out if you have something in mind and uh, I, I hope uh, you all enjoyed. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your time. And I agree, I actually had uh, Lex Solokin on last week um, from the Ethereum Foundation and he- Oh, nice. Uh, or, or consensus rather. Consensus, and he, yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, he was saying like, if you're interested in DeFi, just go download a, ma- a wallet and send some Ethereum to it and just try it out. I mean, there's there's no real better way to learn. Like people are always like, oh, what resources do you have? Or, you know, what where can I learn about this? And I always tell people, just go try it. <laughs> Cause that's the yeah. best way to learn. Definitely, definitely. I that's that's how I got in into DeFi and, and uh there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, Stanny. Well, I I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your time and 
Yeah, for my for my listeners, if you want to check out Ave, it's aave.com, ave.com. And uh, follow Stani on Twitter. I'm just pulling up your <laughs> Twitter profile here, which is uh, Stani Kulovic, uh, K-U-E-L-E-C-H-O-V. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes too. So it's uh it's easy for folks to click on but uh stani i i appreciate your time and um look forward to seeing what you guys build in the future perfect thank you so much for having me here thanks hey everyone thanks for listening new episodes go live every wednesday at 7 a.m eastern links to our apple and spotify channels are in the show notes you can also follow me on twitter at bully esq to continue the conversation see you next week